Uh, well, today uh, we're in the book of John. The book of John, we've made our way to John chapter 5 now. John chapter 5 is where we're at this morning. We're looking at the healing at the pool on the Sabbath. That's where we're going to be at. And we're really answering the question this morning, who can heal the whole man at no cost to us? Who can heal the whole man at no cost to us? John chapter 5 is our text. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18. I'm going to read that, then we're going to pray, and we're going to dive right into the Word. Verse 1, John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five Ruth colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the water when it is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you this morning thankful for your word, thankful that we are able to freely open it to, to work through the text. Thankful, God, that, that you have revealed yourself to us. And this morning as we work through this, we ask that you would reveal yourself, that you would reveal your words here to us so that we might find life in them and so that we might apply them and find hope. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a biology major, I had the opportunity to learn about the human body. And, and the human body is amazing, especially when you consider how, how it all works together so that we are able to live and breathe and, and experience life in the way that, that we do. And what else is amazing is that for all of the complexities of the human body, we are able to figure out how things work. And we are able to fix those things that are broken. Because of medical intervention, many of you are, are sitting here today. You know, if it wasn't for a shot or a vaccine or a pill or a surgery, both major and minor, you, you may not be here today. Or you may not be able to enjoy life in, in the way in which you were able to enjoy it today. And, and some of us, admittedly, we enjoy life a little bit too much. You know, my dad, whenever he's in town or whenever I go to Savannah to visit him, inevitably we will, 
we will find ourselves eating a meal that is not very healthy. And, and I will say to my dad, you know, dad, I, I probably, shouldn't, probably shouldn't eat this. And he'll say, son, I, I've been to the doctor and the doctor tells me that there's a pill for that. And, <laughs> and so you, you, you should freely indulge. It will be okay. Enjoy life. And you know, that might be true. There are pills for that. But medicine has its limitations, right? Even though medical advancement has allowed us to live longer, medicine cannot keep us alive forever. It can't completely inoculate us from the effects of the fallen world in which we live. You see, the reason that we get older, the reason that we experience the pain that we experience, the reason that there's disease and death, the reason that that we grieve the loss of loved ones is because the world in which we live is broken, doesn't operate in the way in which God originally designed for this world to operate. But but what if that wasn't the case? What if we were able to experience complete healing and not just just physical healing, but but spiritual healing as well? What if this healing was free and no cost to you and no cost to the society in which we live? Well, the good news is that that type of healing is not a what if, You know, it's not in the experimental phase. There are no clinical tests being run to see if it is going to work. It is a reality. And and so how? How can you experience that type of healing? Or or who? Who can heal the whole man at no cost to us? Well, look at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, if you remember Jesus, we didn't look at this at the end of John chapter um, four, but, but Jesus goes to, to Cana and there's an official there and this official son uh, needs to be healed and, and he asks that Jesus to come with him and Jesus doesn't go, but Jesus just says, your son is healed. From afar, from distance, Jesus heals this man's son. And, and prior to that, which we did look at last week, we saw that there was a, a Samaritan woman at the well, a person who wasn't a Jew, a person who was absolutely broken, a person who was absolutely shamed and Jesus comes to her And Jesus offers her living water. And she believes. She testifies of of Jesus that he is the Christ to the the whole city. And and Jesus preaches to the city and and the city believes. Many there believe. And what we see there in those chapters is that Jesus is reaching out to those outside of Jerusalem. Outside of the Jewish nation. He's reaching out to the Gentiles. And this is always God's plan. God's plan is not just for the Jews. God's plan and God's mission is for, is for the entire world, for, for Jew and, and Gentile alike. And we see that as we work through the Gospel of John. That's where Jesus has been. And now Jesus is, is heading back to Jewish territory. He's heading back to Jerusalem. There's a, there's a feast that has, has brought him back to Jerusalem. And, and we're not told which feast this is, but, but there's a feast of the Jews and, and Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. And as Jesus reaches Jerusalem, right before he enters, there's this sheep gate. And Jesus encounters a people in need there. Look at the text in verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which is five Ruth colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. 
And so right before Jesus enters the city, there's this pool, and this, and this pool is, is quite large, right? It's not like the size of the pool that you're going to put in your backyard. It's not like the pool that you're going to go to the YMCA and swim laps in. I mean, this pool is massive. This pool spreads like an entire city block, many commentators think. It is a huge pool, and, and there was a, a multitude of people outside of this pool, not because they're there, you know, to get some sun and sunbathe and things like that. No, no, these people are, are invalids. These people are those who are blind and lame and, and, and paralyzed. And, and the people, these people have gathered at this pool. And they gathered there because they thought that the waters had some sort of medicinal value. They thought that, they thought that these waters were, were magic waters, that these waters would, would heal them. Now, depending on which version of the Bible you are, you are reading, if you have the ESV, you would certainly notice that between three, verse 3 and verse 5, there's, there's not a verse 4. The text just, just skips verse 4 and goes right into verse 5. And, and this is for a purpose. Many, many of those who are translators of Scripture believe that, that verse 4 was inserted later by a scribe. You see, they didn't have computers back in Jesus' day when uh, the Bible was originally written. People literally copied the Bible by hand. Now we just pull it up and print it out, and it doesn't, it doesn't change. But, but people would literally copy the Bible by hand back then, and, and sometimes uh, some of the scribes would take it upon themselves to, to write maybe a note in the margin or something like that to, to help people understand what, what this text is saying, commentary on the text, if you will. And this has made it into the text at some point, and then, then people realized that that was commentary and that wasn't really what the text was saying, and so, so they took it out, but they put in the footnote. And so if your footnote, you may, you may have a footnote, and it says, for verse 4, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease that he had. You see, this verse is telling us, at least it's, it's commenting on the, the idea of that day, of what people actually believed would happen. They believed that, that, a, that an angel came down from heaven and he would stir the waters there in that pool and the first person to that pool would receive healing. Now, I, I don't know what evidence they had for that. We're not told what evidence they had for that. If anyone, you know, were healed or not, we, we, don't, we don't really know. But, but these people, they, they gathered together at that pool day after day after day, waiting for the season, waiting for the time that these waters would stir so that they could then, you know, receive healing. And they did that because that was their only hope. That was the only hope that they had. They had no idea if this was actually going to work or not. But you know, when people are desperate, it's, it's whatever they think will work, whatever their hope is, and this is, this is all they had. And so they sit there day after day after day, waiting for the pool to stir so that they can then make a mad dash to be the first in. Now, I know this isn't a one-to-one -one correlation, but, but what I picture here is this large crowd of people who are gathered outside of, say, Best Buy on Black Friday. You're there, you got up early, you, you, you're waiting because you saw an ad on television for a brand new TV and you thought, I need a new TV. And Well, this one's a couple hundred dollars off. And so I'm going to wake up super early and, and I'm going to queue outside of Best Buy for a couple of hours. And, and you really get to know the person next to you because, 
because you got there early and that person got there early too. And so you're, you're there, you're, you're talking with them, you're fellowshipping with them. Maybe, maybe you even got plans to have this guy and his, his wife over for dinner that night. But now it's time for the store to open. And, and you know, they, they send that junior sales associate up there, you know, that, that, that guy who's still in high school, he runs track. And, and he never gets to open the doors to the store at all, but, but today is his day because he is faster than everybody else in the store. And so they send him up there with a the key and, and he's excited yet nervous at the same time. And, and, he, and he puts that key in there and he turns the door and he runs as fast as he can because this huge crowd begins to come into Best Buy and you're a part of that crowd. You're running for that TV. That person that's been next to you, you don't care that they're coming over to fellowship with you that night. You've already pushed this person aside to get a one step on them. You're jumping over, you know, different products in the aisles. Finally, you get to the TV and, and, you, and you lean this way to push that guy out and you throw it in your cart and throw a few stiff arms on the way to, you know, the register. Now, I know it's not a one-to-one -one correlation, but, but imagine this is what's happening. These people are there day after day after day they're getting to know the people who are next to them. But as soon as those waters stir, it is on. It's just like Black Friday for the TV. What does that tell us? What does that reveal? What, what is it? it reveals that, that the hope, that the healing that, that the world holds out is not for everyone. The healing that the world holds out is selfish. It is only for the strong. It is only for the connected. But the hope that Christianity offers is much much different. Look at the text beginning in verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that, that he had already been there a long time, he approaches him. And we'll get to the rest of verse 6 in a moment. Now, now surveying this entire scene of people who are out there, a multitude of people Surveying this entire scene of people out there, of these people who are desperate in need of healing, Jesus focuses in on this one man. And he knows, he, he perceives that this man has been there for a long time. We don't know how he knows that. Maybe somebody told him. Maybe he's the son of God and, and he just, he knows that this man has, has been there. We, we don't know how he knows. But he knows this man has been there for a long time. And not only has this man been there for a long time, like this man has literally been in this position for 38 years. 38 years of this man's life, he has been an invalid. 38 years. And back then, that, that was not a good thing. Not that it's a good thing now, but, but that certainly wasn't a good thing back then because you had to be healthy in order to work, in order to make money, in order to provide for your family. And so this man has been in this position where he is literally dependent, dependent upon his family for the last 38 years. This man has been begging for provision for the last 38 years. This man has been outside waiting for this pool to stir for a long, long time. He's sitting there in these five roof colonnades out of the sun, waiting, waiting. This is what he is doing. And it's here that Jesus breaks into this needy man's life. The man didn't know who Jesus was, but, but Jesus was not waiting for this man to get to know who he was. He wasn't waiting for this man to call out to him and said, Jesus takes the initiative and Jesus approaches this man and Jesus breaks into this man's life and this is how it always happens. Jesus sees us. He sees that we are broken. He sees that we are needy and Jesus breaks into our life. Unless that happens, we're not gonna know God. 
We want, we want see our need for him. We want to submit our life to him. We saw this in John chapter 3. We're going to see this in John chapter 6. Jesus breaks into our life. Jesus calls us to himself. You see, Jesus always takes the initiative. He always breaks into our life just like he did with this man here. And we see this in the conversation as we continue in verse 6. He said to this man, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Do you see what this man is saying? He's saying, yeah, yeah, I want to be healed. But, but you know, I, I don't have anybody to put me into, into the water. I don't have anybody to get me there. I don't have anyone and everybody beats me. But you know what? If, if you're willing to partner with me, Jesus, if you are willing to help me get into the water when it serves, man, I'm game. Let's do this. He doesn't even know this is Jesus. He just, he just knows this is a man. He's saying, hey, if you, if you want to do that, I, I'm, I'm happy to do that with you. He doesn't recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't recognize that Jesus is the Christ as the one who can provide him with healing. He just sees Jesus as this, as this kind man who is willing to give him a helping hand as the one who can help him get into the water. And you know, we're like this man. We want, we want to get into the water too. We, we, are, we are quick to partner with Jesus to get there, to get to that which we believe is going to provide us with true healing and true salvation. And we've all been guilty of this at one time for another. I, I was guilty of this. You know, as a, as a young single adult, one of the things that I wanted more than anything was, was to meet a girl and to get married. And, and I know that's not always the dream of, of those guys who are single, right? Some people want to remain a, a perpetual or bachelor forever, but, but, that wasn't, but that wasn't my dream, right? I wanted to meet a girl, I wanted to marry her. And while that is definitely not a bad dream at all, uh, not a bad desire, but my reasoning behind that was not necessarily the best. You see, I, I thought that a wife would make me whole. I, I, was, I, was, I was willing to do anything to make that happen. I was willing to partner with the church. I was willing to partner with Jesus. And for the longest time, that's what I did until one day I realized, you know, it's not about me finding a wife. It's not about me partnering with Jesus. It's not about me partnering with the church to do that. What it is about is me loving Jesus for Jesus, me being satisfied with Jesus for who Jesus is. And that's what we need to do. Maybe you're trying to partner with Jesus right now. Maybe, maybe, maybe you want something. Maybe you want a career or you want a good family life or, or you want physical healing. Again, none of those things are bad. None of those things are, are inherently wrong at all. But you're looking to Jesus and you're saying, man, I'll partner with you if you'll give that to me, Jesus. And when you say that, what you're actually saying is that career, that good family life, that healing, that's what's going to make me whole. That's what's ultimately going to satisfy me. That's what's ultimately going to save me. But instead of that, we need to see Jesus for who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is not looking to partner with us. Jesus is looking to be the Lord of our life. Jesus is looking to be the Savior of our life, not our partner who can get us to that which he, we think can save us. Jesus is the only one who can save us. Amen. Jesus is not looking for partners. 
Look at verse 8. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once this man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. You see, Jesus is not looking to partner with us. Jesus is the one who will heal us. Jesus wants us to see that he is the water, that he is the only one that we need. He wants us to be satisfied in him and him alone, to seek salvation in him and him alone. Jesus wants us to be captivated by him. Jesus wants us to be drawn in by him for who he is, for what he does for us. And we should be captivated by Jesus because Jesus is the one who provides us with true healing. And notice the healing that Jesus provides. It is a complete healing. It's not a healing which, you know, a a doctor or even a a prosperity preacher is going to provide. It is full. It is final. It is is complete healing. He tells this man, take up your bed and walk. Don't, don't just get up and walk and, and expect to come back a little bit later because the healing I've provided you is going gonna, is gonna to wear off. No, take up your bed. Don't save your spot any longer. You are never coming back to this place again. I have provided you with full, final, complete healing. And notice something else that he says. It is a healing that signifies the long-awaited kingdom has come. The healing of the invalid it signifies that this, that this kingdom is coming, that it is now here. You see, the prophets, they, they prophesied about this. In Isaiah chapter 35, it talks about the lame leaping, just like a deer. Isaiah 35, 6. It's a paraphrase, but this is what it says. And later on, when John the Baptist is, is imprisoned, and he wants to know, why am I here? Am I here for the, for the right reason? Am I here because Jesus is the Messiah? And he asks, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the one that that we should be, that we have been waiting for? Are you finally here? And what does Jesus say? He points him back to Isaiah. He points him to these miracles that the lame have leaped like a deer. And so this miracle, it signifies that that the long-awaited kingdom is finally here. The kingdom that we have longed for since the fall is finally here. The kingdom that that Jesus is bringing, the, 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 the rescue that Jesus is bringing is finally here. And Jesus is saying, I am gonna rid the world of sin. I'm gonna rid the world of of disease. I'm going to rid the world of heartache. That kingdom is here. I have come to restore everything. And knowing these things alone, we, we should be captivated by Jesus. Jesus should draw us in, knowing that his healing is full and final and complete, knowing that, that Jesus is going to provide us with ultimate salvation, knowing that Jesus' kingdom is going to come in the future, that he is going to restore everything, and that we are going to operate in the way in which God has designed. Man, that should be enough to draw us into Jesus. That should be enough to believe that Jesus is our Savior. But we're not done. Jesus' healing also provides. It's a healing that is for everyone. Jesus didn't ask this man for for anything in return. Jesus did not ask this man to go out and do anything for him. Jesus didn't ask this man for payment. He didn't ask this man to tweet about it. He didn't ask this man to post it on Instagram. Jesus wasn't looking for some influencer here so he could pump up his numbers. 
Jesus didn't ask for any of those things. The healing that Jesus provides this man is free. It is full. It is final. It is complete healing. And Jesus did that even though this man's sin is what made him sick. Look at verse 14. Later on, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. You see, this man's sickness was a direct result of his sin. And this is the first occurrence of sin in the gospel. And so, so, so we need to ask the question, well, what is sin? What is sin? And consider David and his son Absalom. You know, David was one of the greatest kings to ever rule the nation of Israel. David was the one that, that God made a covenant with. Jesus ultimately sits on the eternal throne of David. David, his life wasn't always that great. After he was anointed as king by, by God, there was still another king in place, Saul, and Saul sought his life. He's persecuted him. And then his own son, Absalom, sought his throne. For, for four years, Absalom worked behind the scenes, gathering support from the people until finally he believed, you know, I've got enough support. I can overthrow the king. I can become king. In God's providence, David learns of this. He knows that Absalom is going to try to seek his life and to kill him and overthrow the throne. And so he escapes from Jerusalem just in time. And Absalom seeks his life. Absalom even shames his father by being with his, his wives on the temple, on the top of the temple, or top of the palace, excuse me. Now, David's throne, and David ultimately escapes it. David's throne is ultimately established. Absalom is killed and kind of killed in a funny way. His hair gets caught in a tree because it's so long. And David's men come up and, and they kill him. And David's throne is established and it remains. And now, now we hear that. We, we hear how this, how this son could, could try, to, try to kill his father, how he would shame his father in that way, how he would seek after his throne. And, and we hear that and we think, how could a son do that to a father? We're just like that son. We do that to our heavenly father. We seek his throne. And that's what sin ultimately is. Sin is us living in active rebellion against God. It is not just us breaking a few rules here and there. We do break some rules. And those rules that we break, those laws that God has, that will that God has for us and how we are to live, it points to a deeper sickness. It points to a deeper sin. It points to an all-out rebellion against God where we are seeking His throne. We are seeking to place ourselves in God's place. We are seeking to call the shots. That's what it looks like for us to sin. That's what it looks like for us to be in rebellion to God. We are trying to take things over. And we live in all-out rebellion, and that is sin. And in this instance, this man's sin, this man's rebellion against God caused him to be sick. Now that is not always the case. Everyone who gets sick, that is not the result of sin. Sometimes that is the case. Sometimes that is the case of their personal sin and that God has, has, has punished them in that way. 
That's not always the case. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world that is, that, is, that is affected by sin. And so we feel the outside effects of sin on us as well. If you remember the, the story of the Tower of Siloam, and these, these people were killed as this tower fell on them and the disciples asked Jesus, what, what, what was their sin? And Jesus says, they were, they were righteous. There was no sin. It's the fallen world in which we live. You see, we live in a fallen, broken world. And so it's not always the case that sin would cause us sickness. But in this instance, it was the case that sin would call us, cause this man sickness. But the remarkable thing is, is that out of all the people who were sitting out there, I'm sure there were some people who were sitting out there at that pool who, who this wasn't the case in their life, who, who maybe they were righteous, who they've, they've done everything right. They followed God. They've sought God with their life. They weren't sick because of sin. But, but out of all of that, Jesus approaches this one man. And he doesn't tell this man, hey, you need to clean yourself up. You need to make yourself righteous before you come to me. No, Jesus approaches this man and Jesus heals this man. And then Jesus comes later and he finds him in the temple and he tells this man, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. He's warning him. He's, he's telling him, don't turn back to a life of sin. Instead, turn to God. Recognize that God is the rightful ruler of your life. Submit to him. Seek after the one who is the water, the one who provides healing, not just physical healing, but the one who provides spiritual healing. Seek after him. And you seek after him as well. For if we don't, we are going to experience something much worse than what this man experienced. We are going to experience God's wrath for all of eternity in hell. That's what awaits those who continue in sin, who continue to seek after God's throne, who want to be the God of their own life, who want to call the shots. Hell is what awaits those folks. But again, Jesus, Jesus comes and he provides healing, not just physical healing, but spiritual healing. But while this healing is free to us, this healing comes at great cost to Jesus. Notice at the end of verse 9, we're told that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And, and the Jewish leaders, they, they didn't like this. Pick back up in the end of verse 9. Now that was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. They don't care that this man has been in the invalid for 38 years. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said this? Take up your bed and walk. And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And so these men, you see that they, they care nothing about, care nothing about this man being healed. These people are legalists. They care everything about just keeping the rules. It is this cold, calculated system. They thought that this is what earned them favor with God. That it was just all about keeping the rules. But that's not what earns us favor with God at all. It is not about us keeping the rules. 
And we see here that they think Jesus broke the rules. And that Jesus breaking the rules is, has messed up their system. It has messed everything up for them. And so they seek to get rid of Jesus. They don't seek to understand who Jesus is. Instead, they seek to get rid of Jesus. And somehow Jesus enters into a conversation with them. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. And Jesus gives them the reason why he is able to heal on the Sabbath. He says, look, look, God is working and I am working. And he is able to work because God, who is his, his father, who is working. And Jesus, he begins to challenge the common idea of the Sabbath. You see, God resting, our resting doesn't mean that, that, we don't, that we don't do anything. Instead, taking a Sabbath means that we find our rest in God. It means that we find our joy, it find, our, find our peace. It means that we trust God to provide for us, that we are willing to take a day off because we believe that God is the all-sovereign God of this universe who is able to provide for us. And Jesus is confronting them. And he's really pushing further than that. He's making himself equal to God. Notice that the result of this persecution in verse 18 is not just that he broke the Sabbath. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, all this comes together. It tells us that, that the healing that Jesus brings, while it is, it is free to us, it costs Jesus everything. It costs Jesus his life. Jesus gave up his life so that we might experience life, so that we might experience salvation. And the fact that Jesus is freely willing to give all that, that he has to heal the whole man, both physically and spiritually, at no cost to us, but at great cost to him, should cause us to be captivated by Jesus. It should draw us into Jesus. Instead of seeking wholeness from the things of this world, we should run to Jesus, not as our partner, but as our Savior, as our healer, as, as the water who gives life. So who are you running to today? Are you running to the world's waters or to the one who is the water? Who are you running to today? Who are you seeking today? There is only one who can heal the whole man, both physically and spiritually, at no cost to us. Run to the living water. Take hold of the life that he provides today. 